So there was this very meta moment where you had Ethan Hawke taking notes on a movie while I was also taking notes on the movie that he is in. <laughs> Look at me taking notes and he's taking notes too. We're all taking notes. It's so meta. It's so meta. I think, yes, absolutely. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Hi guys, welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Terry. I'm Julia, and this week we are talking about 2012's Sinister. Title of this episode is I'll Make You Famous Again. Tagline for this movie, once you see him, nothing can save you. Which I think is a bit of a spoiler, because you have no idea what that's about until, like, it's just like... Yeah, they shouldn't have said anything about him. No, just talk about the Because that's like the reveal... I didn't yes. look at the tagline before the movie. Like I try not, I try to go like, as always, Julia, like with as little info as possible. So like we get all the surprises and we're yes. actually scared when we were scared. Um, and if I'd read that tagline, that would have ruined a good portion of that. Or also right. would have been like, where's the he? It's going to be somebody's coming to get us. Yes, exactly. So this was written by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson, who also directed the f- movie. Um, and so the, it, this movie uh, gets me, so I hadn't seen it very surprised mm-hmm. that everybody's very surprised I haven't seen it because Ethan Hawke, Ethan, one of my top guys. No, like the man we've been in love with since the nineties, Julia, yeah. like we've been in love with him forever. Oh, like yeah. I since watched dead poet society and, and explorers. And I was like, yes, please. And then reality bites. Mm, like goodness. I, he's on the soundtrack and I just, I used to listen to that song to fall asleep. Like a, oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I love That's him so, so much. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like he's such a, the like he, it makes me angry that he's so fantastic and gets so little love for being consistently fantastic. And that's just great. Like, fantastic he no he's been good his whole life like I feel like I don't I don't there isn't like a role that I'm like if the movie might be bad but he's never been bad in any movie that he's ever been in like ever no like he's one of those actors too that's just been you're right consistently good just is all about the work you can tell like he loves it Mm -hmm. he dives into those characters deep He's still so handsome. And why does he get you know, like he's never won anything? Like they, he never like he should have been nominated anything. this year for this that thing where he played the priest this last year. Uh, rest, he, for, ref, uh, first reform, which I saw, yes. and I was like, if he doesn't get an Oscar, I'm gonna fucking puke. And of course, he doesn't get nominated. And I'm like, what? The, but uh, what are you guys? He should have. That was that was his chance. That was his time. This was it. But it's because people, you know, um, you have to also play the game. You know, Hollywood is not just a merito- full on meritocracy. Like it's like you have to like schmooze. You got to like I feel like he's not that's not his jam. Like he's really I feel like not like I know him, but I'm making up like that. I feel like he's just about the work. <laughs> uh-huh. He doesn't want to go schmooze. I don't imagine him hanging out at, like a bunch of Hollywood events and parties. Do you know what I mean? though? like doing that stuff that you kind of have to do to campaign um, if you want those type of awards. Well, bottom line is uh, Ethan Hawke is amazing and it always is amazing and is amazing in this movie. Uh, and the reason we are doing this movie actually is because my friend Becky Deanna requested it. So hello, Becky. Doing this we love you, Becky. Thank just you. Just for you. So uh, this movie, of course, wins me 
right off the bat because we're gotten some eight millimeter footage. Oh, is this movie going to have a lot of film in it? Is that going to projectors? <gasps> Makes Julia so happy. And I just happy. got goosebumps for you. I just got goosebumps <laughs> for you. Hilarious. Sweet. Oh my God. <laughs> Makes me so happy. I mean, just the sound of a projector just makes me delighted. Um, right. Just <laughs> so good. So uh, he is playing a character named uh, Ellison Oswald, who uh, sources say named after Harlan Ellison and Patton Oswald. So what the heck? That makes so much sense. I was wondering because a lot of the names sound like I was as the names were being revealed in the movie. I was like, these sound like friends. And that <laughs> checks out. Cinephiles, a movie that cinephiles love, uh, featuring lots of film. We're in. Definitely. So he is a writer who is moving to a new place in Pennsylvania. Uh, he writes true crime that uh, exposes mistakes that the police had made in cases. Uh, and so that means that right away the cops don't like him. And you're like, oh, things are going to go bad and the cops are not going to give a shit. Yeah, but not all the cops. There's like the main head sheriff guy who seems like very sus of them. And the other deputy kind of sheriff who's like starstruck. So there might be a little bit of tension in the ranks. There might yes. be a little bit of help from one of these cops along the way. Yes, and the other one, not so much. Who uh, is uh, James Ransona, who is uh, Eddie Kasprak in the adult version in the It Chapter 2. So he will he will come back around. At some point, we will talk about that movie and we'll talk about him again. He's really great. Oh my God, you love him. Oh, well, Eddie's my great. favorite. I know. I saw your just like your face just lit up though. It was so cute. And I just was like, yes, I can't wait to talk about him again some more when we get to it at some point. Um, but yes, so they're moving in and they're not so welcome. And the family, you get there's also some tension with Ethan's wife um, um, as well. And, the, and Ethan's wife, I'm just going to call him Ethan the whole time. It's terrible, but whatever. Um, Ellison, Ellison's Ellison, wife. thank you. Ellison's wife. Um, and um, she is not happy about moving so much. You get that they do this a lot. And so we find out that he moves anytime. Basically, he's trying to do a deep dive for these real crime, true crime books. Um, and she's like, are we living down the street from the crime again? And he's like, no, no, no. Gets her on a technicality, my Aww. friends. They have definitely moved into the house where the last crime was committed because we just saw the eight millimeter video of a family being hung on a tree. Um, and that tree looks just like the tree in their backyard. Um, um, and so, that, like, can I just say, like, that's credit sequence is like people being hung terribly on a tree. And you're like, sinister. And you're like, oh, okay. Here we go. This is good. That's how we're starting. Yeah, I was like, this started off dark, and I was like, there's no no joke about that title. This is already very sinister and yeah. very very dark. It reminded so, me of the opening credits of uh, Ginger Snaps, where it's just yeah. like horrible death, and you're like, oh okay, well we're starting here, so let's see where we go. Exactly. Like you're starting at eleven. We're gonna we're gonna ramp this shit up, and they they this movie definitely does that. Um, so, and, but we have mm -hmm. this kind of illusion that Ellison perhaps goes far too far into his writing. He also has a drinking problem when he writes. Uh, they have now have two mortgages because they haven't sold the previous house yet, so their uh, money is a little tight. He's looking for his next big hit. If he could just have his next big hit, uh, but the, his wife Tracy lays down the ultimatum. She's like, "Look, if this one doesn't hit, like we're done." And if this goes bad, we're done. So like no pressure there at all. Just like everything you love is on the, on the line for this book. So everything is, park. yeah, everything's in the balance, but it's also um, the kids are being affected by it. And that's a big reason why she's fighting for it. They have two kids. And so Ashley, their youngest, she um, is an artist. And so she likes to draw on the walls. And I was like, uh oh, 
as soon as I saw a little kid drawing on the walls, I was like, this is probably going to turn to bad drawings later, right? Like, as soon as you see this. Um, and then they have a son, too, who's, you know, kind of um, wants to be involved with his dad's work and wants to, uh, you get that he probably wants a closer relationship with his dad. But because of the nature of his work, he's obviously not involving his kids in these, like, horrific crimes that he writes about. Mm -hmm. So um, there's already tension with, between every single one of these relationships in the first five minutes is, is perfectly established, which is such great writing, mm -hmm. um, you know, between the town people not wanting them there, between the family, half the family doesn't want to be there. Um, and then they got to write about some horrific things. So now we're going to get into the details of what the hell happened here. Yeah, so there was the uh, family who was killed, but there's a little girl who is missing. So the cops have given her up for dead, but Ellison thinks, no, she's not dead. She's missing. He's just got to find out where she is. So uh, while he's uh, unpacking, they find he finds a box of eight millimeter footage and a projector in the attic. So let's just uh, take some notes on whatever this is, because he knows it's from the previous tenant and he knows who the pre previous tenants were. So there was this very meta moment where you had Ethan Hawke taking notes on a movie while I was also taking notes on the movie that he is in. <laughs> Look at me taking notes and he's taking notes too. We're all taking notes. It's so meta. It's so meta. I think, yes, absolutely. It was, it was definitely one of those moments. I didn't even think about that while I was doing that. <laughs> Holy crap. Had to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we see this video of this family and the kids and it's not looking good. They were, it looks like they were doing like, like they're maybe making their own home movie, like, oh, they're making a movie about like some hanging thing, but it's like, it just looks like it went bad. So you're not sure if it was like, oh, they're making like this, like they're making their own scary movie at home or something. Like it's not 100% clear what happened. But it's a thing where like at the, the maybe the first minute of the film looks like a normal home movie. It's just like people hanging out in the backyard and they're playing and they're on the swings and it's cool. And then it like abruptly cuts to this this horror you know snuff bit at the end so he's just he's trying to figure out who made this who made this like who was behind the camera um and also where's the little girl at the end because there's five in the family but there's no there's only four on the tree and also why would you film that you know there's so that's also that question was like they're filming this for a reason what is that reason why this so uh, and, he, he yeah. now realizes he's he, he has an entire box of eight millimeter footage that presumably is of the same type of content that he has to now delve into. And it's that thing where you can tell he feels like, okay, nope, nope, gone too far. Let's just let the authorities handle that. But then also I have to know what's on all of these reels. Yeah. It reminded me of district nine where he's like down listening to like the real, the reels of like those old, like, you know, um, session nine, you mean session nine. That's the one. Thank you. I was like different movie. Sorry. Your face. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> district nine. Um, uh, session nine and like where like he kept going into like you know the medical tapes and stuff like that and listening to those terrible and you um, accounts you have to but you have to but when you get handed haunted tapes you gotta listen so I know Julia will definitely listen if you handed me haunted tapes I'd be like so sorry gonna have to burn those tapes like no I would definitely, I don't know. I would definitely listen <laughs> I've seen <laughs> that enough is where... horror movies to know that level end to my death but that's okay Oh my gosh, she's like that. What a beautiful way to die. Yeah. Finding out the information of the other life and the mm -hmm. other worlds. So these videos go on and there's just more horrific stuff. There's a family like chained up in a car. Um, there's all these other crimes that he goes through this whole box. Um, yeah, people yeah. being burned alive in said car. And, and they all start out nice and then go really badly. So he is going to call the police 
and then is like, no, I can't, I can't do it. So then he hears some noises in the house. He goes out and he finds there's a big cardboard box that's moving around. Uh, and his son, this is a really scary, good reveal. His son, Trevor, backbends out of the box, screaming in a night terror, which he apparently has, which is horrific that that really happens. And I can't even imagine how terrifying that must be. Yeah, I have friends who have them and it is terrifying and it is scary when they do happen. And it's it's a lot. And um, basically you go to like kind of a paralysis and stuff, too. And this kid, it's got these really bad case of it. Um, and so it just seems like it's been exacerbated by maybe something in this house. Um, and they had just moved. So, you know, when you're disoriented in a new place. So there's just a lot of elements that could have triggered this in such an intense way. Um, but they get him back to bed. Um, and, uh, you know, you think that uh, Ellison is going to finally confess like, hey, this house is actually every seems to like he's going to tell his wife so many times. He's, and he just doesn't um, right after that. Um, but I feel like he continues- she's she, mm-hmm. he's already she's already kind of against him right like she already kind of blames the night terror on him even though obviously it's not his fault in the slightest but i feel like he feels that pressure of like oh she could leave me at any second but also anything i tell her is going to get a negative response so like she's gonna freak out no matter what he tells her and so like it feels like i i feel like i feel he his, he's his not wrong though no like, i know he, he is not move them into that house no. so that's like why he feels that tension that's sure. not about like oh she's gonna leave me it's like i fucked up i yeah. shouldn't have done this i can't confess to this so because like she's definitely gonna leave me like he knows he did wrong yeah no that's you're right because i think it's probably he probably like justifies it to himself is like well i won't tell her beforehand because then she'll say no but if i tell her when we're already there then like there's nothing you can do about it either way just right he's whatever. asking once he's rather asked for forgiveness than for permission so he's definitely in that in that vein but he after he puts the kid back to sleep he goes back and watches more videos i was like seriously guy okay he can't get enough he this, can't get enough this is a uh um I, I won't it's 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 obviously it's terrible it's supposed to be a snuff film uh but a, a creative death i don't think i've ever seen this kind of death in a horror movie before where i had either a pool party yeah. where you have people duct taped to pool chairs and then drags the chairs into the pool and it's like well that's kind of interesting i would never have crossed my mind i you know you don't want to give props to someone for murder invention but creative it was a creative it was they were creative murders and it was terrifying because like i think so many of us i me included the fears of drowning are very real and like that's like a would be an awful way to go out and to like have somebody just yank you into a pool like that and you're just chained yeah. and bound and you yeah. can't get out of it terrifying but he but, does um, he does mm-hmm. he does stop the the film because he sees a face under the water that looks inhuman looks but- like a pool demon Pull demon, <laughs> pull demon. <laughs> I go see that band. Pull demon. Dot dot dot. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> so he, uh, he he pauses the film to try to get a better look at it, but the film catches on fire. So then he has a kind of oh no, he has got to learn how to now he has to learn how to splice eight millimeter film together because now it's it's already becoming a thing. So then he tries to transfer and analyze the tape and digitize this eight millimeter that he's found. So he's going through the process of digitizing this. But for whatever reason, the face still keeps getting blurred and there's still issues. And I was like, that's because that thing's alive in there. I was like, stop playing with it, playing with it. I was like yelling at the screen. This is me like (laughs) yelling, (laughs) like, stop. Just like, oh, my God, you're going too far. You've gone too far. Just leave the house already right now. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Um, uh, And his son is already being infected by whatever it is because he gets on the first day of school sent home because he draws a tree with four people hanging on it at school. Eh, What could that come from? 
Oh, yeah, no, and the mom's like, hey, why is that? Why is he doing that? And he's like, oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> That's what I'm investigating. She's like, oh, great. Um, yep. So uh, there's more, more news stories yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, we and again, there was there's a really beautiful shot. Uh, the next snuff film that he watches is um, people getting their throat slit. And it's really, really gory. But you have this shot of it, him watching it and you just see it reflected in his glasses and out of focus. So you can't really see what's happening, but you can see his face watching it. And his reactions are yeah. great. Yes. Like the terror in his eyes and everything. Beautiful shot. I mean, this is the thing with it. You have this movie where a lot of this movie is someone watching movies. So if it's not in their face, it's not going to work. So this is why we, this is why we hire Ethan Hawke, folks. This is why we hire him. Oh, so good. But then he hears some noises as he's watching stuff and some creaks in the floors up above. And of course, we're going to freak out. Um, and of course, the lights go out in the house because... Of course they do. And of course they're in a new house. And this whole movie, everything is very low lit, like the whole time too. So like. I, that's my one complaint about this movie. You this can't movie see was shit. really, really dark. And I know that horror movies are supposed to be dark because they're scary. But like, there's a lot of like, I can't, I can't really see what's going on right now. And like, I was, that was a little frustrating to me. There's a lot of feeling disoriented, but I imagine it was probably really fun in a theater. I wish yes. I'd seen this in a the theater. Of course. Because that's the kind of en engrossing you with that darkness. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously in my in my house, it's not the same, but like to feel that I imagine the tension was really palpable within the initial audience. This is one of those movies I wish I could time travel to like. Oh, yeah. Well, see, like, I want to see weekend. I want to see every movie we talk about in a theater with surrounded by people all the time. Uh, and I will say he does get final boy props because before going to investigate the said noise in the dark, he does get a knife. And I'm like, OK, yeah. so we and he, he tries to get a flashlight, but he ends up like with just his phone because the flashlight, I think, doesn't work or something like that. Um but he doesn't close the doors behind him when he like heads outside, though. And I was like, that's a bad move because you walk away from the front door. If you're going investigating outside or anywhere, anywhere, it's like some something's going to like slip in through those doors. Of course. Uh, but he does go up into the attic uh, where he, he hears the noises um, and finds a big snake in there uh, and also finds the top of a board game box in which several children have drawn the murders that we had previously seen. Uh, but they're all different. They're all been drawn by different children. Clearly, it's not the same kid. Yeah, it's it's. But they're all like the scenes. It's like stick figures of the scenes that we've just watched in the videos. So it's like, uh oh. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of kids involved. And I was like drawing kids. I was telling you, I was worried about it from the beginning. I was worried about that little girl who could draw. This is going to be a problem. Um, and it's all the kills. And they each have a little thing that says Mr. Boogie next to each one of them. Who is Mr. Boogie? Da -da. Boogie Boogie Man. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, on his way, tromping through the attic, he falls through the floor and injures his leg. So they have to call some people to come uh, fix him up, uh, including our Mr. Deputy So-and-So, as he is called, uh, who he lets into his secret office. Nobody goes into dad's office. This is the rule. It reminds me yeah, of you're supposed to lock the door. Yeah. yeah. Reminds me of Oculus. You're like, no, no, no. No one goes in dad's office. Uh, and he, I love that he comes in and he says, you've got a map with pictures connected with yarn and everything. Because <laughs> I would have said the same thing. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. He literally has that like, you know, Charlie Day, like infamous meme wall, yeah. you know, like he's got like the faces connected and like all this stuff. And like, um, and he's like, you're not supposed to look at that. Like, don't take that in because it's like, 
he's obviously going in deeper than he wants to let anybody know because yeah. he wants it all to be a surprise when the book comes out. Um, but he gets in there and, and I love this when the officer so-and-so wants an acknowledgement. That's all he really wants in yeah. his book. You know, those people you say that that helped you in the book, like at the end, like, I want to be one of those people. You know, like deputy so-and-so. Maybe I could be deputy so-and-so. Very cute. He's very cute. That scene is my favorite, I think. Really? I I love it. Yeah, it's so funny. I love it. Because Ellison is so like hardened and like bitter. And he's just like, but but maybe hi. (laughs) I I feel those Star Trek vibes. I feel those. Um, You never, Julia. No, maybe. Jesus. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Ethan, uh, Ellison goes back to watch the, when he fell uh, through the floor, he had his phone with him because he was using a flashlight and he'd been recording. And so it recorded himself. Uh, falling and he finds uh when the, he pauses it the moment that he starts to fall through the floor all of these little children hands gray hands are like pulling him down and the face of he's just like nope <laughs> just like close your computer nope not not gonna look at that one second longer terrifying the creepy baby hands creepy children hands nope not okay, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Creepy kids are, are are really extra scary and this movie is really done a very good job with these creepy children. Um so yeah, so Mr. Boogie is is so many places and uh and there's even like through some of this that he ends up going through and looking through some of these videos as he was doing it before those kids' hands. He, there's like a hellhound that seems to be around each time too. And I was like, oh no, that's never a good sign either. Um there's hell hellhounds and all this kind of stuff. So his wife is like things are getting bad because he's already like he's literally like needs stitches won't go to the hospital for it like all these things are ha- bad have already happened got night terrors got kids being teased at school like she's like this is already bad you need to stop the book and like stop what you're doing and and and, and tries to get him to do something else and he tries to tell he gets that pretorious yeah. freaking mad scientist look at his eye like this is the time though i'm on to something big it's something's different this time it's never gonna be like this again and you're like oh no yeah he's just got the that, downfall that, right gl- there yeah that gleam in his eyes he just wants that that literature prize and you know it, you get these really sad ju- juxtapositions of him watching videos of himself when he was younger when he had done his first book and how he talked about like it's all about the process it's all about justice and making sure these things get to light not at all about the fame and the money but you're like but but now it is about the fame and the money. And like, he just wants that now. And it's that, changed. And yes, he had it and he lost it. And now he wants it back. So uh, they, we, he finds, um, he wants to talk to somebody about these connections that he feels that he has. And there's a, a gentleman, a professor who is going to, who is an expert in said matters, who is going to, he sees this symbol that he wants to ask about. Uh, this was a, a delightful Vincent D'Onofrio cameo. And I was like, yeah. well, hi, hi, Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm so yeah, happy you great. just popped up in this movie. He makes everything just great. Like he he's in this movie for like five minutes, and I'm like, but you're just a delight to watch. And via video chat, so they yes. probably like. Do you know what I mean? Though, like, it's like he's a video chat away. It's great. It's amazing it's just, how you can yeah. act on video chat and it translates. How is that possible? I don't understand. Um, it's actually quite possible because it's a little bit like film, but different format. You know, uh, he kills it. Um, and you know, that it felt very real, obviously after we've been on video chat forever this last year and a half too, it felt like, oh, okay, yeah, that would, that's what you would do. You'd call this guy and like do this like Skype call or whatever. And, um, he talks with him about the occult symbol and, and, um, he gets a little, does some research and it's going to get back to him a little bit more, but he he looks, he thinks he knows who it is. This guy, Bagul, who, you know, was a pagan deity known as the eater of children. Mm. Mm Hmm souls of human children and he lures and tricks these children and he needs blood sacrifices 
So, uh-oh. Um, after he's just talked with Deputy Stone, so before about how these are maybe serialized and ritualized murders, supposedly, and maybe these families got drugged and things like that happened. Now we're seeing some connections happening between this uh, this baddie now. Uh, and now the projector is starting to run by itself. So that's not a good sign. Um, but there's, you know, there's little, there's ghosts. So there's this part where he's walking through the through his house and there's the go, little little kid ghosts there that we can see, but he can't see. And so it's that thing where like he can only kind of see them out of this corner of his eye as he turns and that kind well, of thing. Well, he feels them, like their energy kind of thing. And he turns around and he's like too late and they're literally all around him and they keep following him through the house. Um, and now Ashley is drawing with the ghost now and she's like the little girl ghost is like shh don't tell when a little girl ghost asks you to keep a secret don't Mm -mm. (laughs) just don't um and you know he finally breaks down and confides to the deputy and just like this is i'm losing it like this is all though it's you know it's too much this is what's happening i think there's ghosts here uh and the deputy's like you just gotta go to the house like you can't be in this house and not think it's going to do terrible things to you because of course it will and also, Naturally. like, he sees him drinking. He's like, dude, I see you with uh, the bottle of whiskey hitting it kind of. And he's like, oh, no, no. So he's even like, I'm giving you kind of an out to say you're drunk. So you like, I don't believe in ghosts. But obviously this, you know, it's going to mess with your head as you dive into these these, these stories. Uh, so no one's going to believe him, basically, at this point. Even his, like, confidant officer who was eager to please and help. Yeah is not going to go down that road with him of like believing in ghosts and the occult in that way. No. And he also says, you know, cause he asked like, the previous family, like tell you anything was weird going in the house. He's like, no man, like everything. They fine. never said a word. Yep. So just you. So uh, the wife, uh, Tracy finds out whose house they are living in, which does not go well. Uh, yeah. And I, she has one of my favorite lines here. Like what possessed you to move here? And I was like, ah, possession. Hmm. Mm, these writing. Excellent writing, kids. Anyway, yes. <laughs> um, but he says his writing is what gives his life meaning. So mm-hmm. she does not like that at all because it should be uh, his family. And she's like, no, it's writing. He says, that's my legacy. And she's like, no, dude, your kids are your legacy. What are you talking about? Like, mm. this, I like that this is when um, his fantasy, like this film life and his real life begin to blur. And so like, his film, his li- his real world starts to look like eight millimeter film. Uh, which is kind of a dream of mine. That would be amazing if I could see everything in eight millimeter. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. <laughs> I never thought of that before. But yeah, this happens in this movie and I really like that. That's really cool. So he starts to finally see the dead kids um, and tries to uh, get up the ladder. He tries to burn, the, he burns the film, done with it, everything on fire. This is how we, this is how we end things. Because as Terry and I know, how do you kill most things? Fire. Fire. Good amount of it. If they're not ghosts, that's pretty much everything else is like is fire. If it's a physical, you know, being or whatever, zombies, vampires, a lot of a lot of things you can set on fire. And so he tries to set these tapes on fire and he's got a little pyre out there in his little fire pit. And uh, mom walks out and they have a moment and she just yells like we have to leave here. And she's like, what do you mean? Like right now? He's like, no. We need to get the fuck out of here. I'm ready to go. And she's like, okay, great. Because she's been wanting to leave since before they got there. But so, it's one of those, like, let's wake up the kids and go, like, how terrifying that must be as a kid. Just wake up and be like, hey, we're leaving now. And you're like, okay. But I mean, and he's, you know, he's he's remarkably calm through the majority of this movie. I mean, like, he's, he's scared, but he's not freaked out until we get, you know, nearer to the end where he's starting to, like, lose it. And just watching him 
yell and like really give that power is so incredible to watch um because i think you get a lot of calm ethan hawk you don't get a lot of like enraged ethan hawk but when you do oh so good it's fire it's fire like literally with the fire like came the fiery rage you know i was like oh my god what a great juxtaposition um and beautiful symmetry really more than juxtaposition um but they try to leave in the night and they're driving too fast and of course our favorite cop from the beginning the sheriff pulls him over and uh Basically tells him you got to slow the hell down. He's like, you know what? You wanted me to get out. I'm getting out. Going back home. Notebook. Goodbye. And he's like, okay, well then please leave. So uh, he does and they move back home. Um, and things seem to be okay. Uh, but we have another phone call with uh, the professor. Talking yeah. about, he had looked some more into this Bagul fellow who says um, that the image that it actually lives in the images itself. He finds these woodcuts and these old portraits of, of it and saying, like, it lives in these images, but most of them you don't see because people burn them and they don't want them there because obviously and they destroyed them because the guy comes out of the image and he's a li- living from the image, which is what we worried about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deputy So and so has been calling him like all day as well, trying to get through, but he's not answering. and it, Still listening to this conversation, though. Um, yeah, and he says, so that, you know, this is basically all these images, it's like the gateway to the realm, and that uh, he comes in these different forms, including a snake and a dog and a scorpion, which we had all seen before, uh, and just possesses the people who sees the images. So like, oh, well, now you're much in trouble. So he goes back up into the attic of his new, of his old house, uh, and there's the film again. Uh, the box in the is new there. house. Yeah, yeah, the box has moved well, with them. It's their old house, which they moved back to. So technically, the old house, not the new house, but it could be semantics there. The house, their their house, they used to live in. Uh, yeah, where the, where the box should not be, and yet the box is right. there, un unburnt and fine, and also has extended cuts. Like oh. Let me just splice these together and watch this a little bit more. Even though he knows now, he knows. Like, hello, you. Yeah, but just how can old. you not watch though? If if you've already been, if you've already gotten this far, he's too far gone now. It's got to happen. So uh, they find out once he finds finally does get to talk to deputy so and so that all the families lived in the house of the previous murder. So there's this direct chain that goes through all of these families. So and now- he said you Axel expedited the chain because the fact that you moved means that now it's your turn, basically, mm-hmm. because as soon as you move, that's when the murder happens. It doesn't happen while you're in the house that's haunting you. It happens when you move to the next place. Yeah, so which now is interesting, mm-hmm. it, which is an interesting concept. Right? It follows. It does. But yeah, not in the original house, but in the next house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his so now his he's having he's drinking coffee, doing his stuff, uh, and then all of a sudden realizes his coffee has been drugged. Who, Which we his- heard about earlier that that's part of the whole ritualized portion is they're like, how are these kids? Because you find out that these kids are murderers. How are they able to do that? As he watches these extended cuts, it's because these kids have gotten help because they drug the parents or the family um, who are bigger than them. So they're able to actually com- do complete the murders. Uh, so it's his uh, his daughter, Ashley, who says, don't worry, daddy, I'll make you famous again uh, and has an axe that she is going to uh, use upon her family who are all duct taped and on the living room floor uh, and uh, by, the, by the fireplace, just yeah. conveniently like with plastic on the floor. <laughs> I was like, oh, that, she's ready. Ready. You got to get that Dexter style plastic down. Well, she uh, needs the extra blood for paint. Yeah. And she's got to add her picture to the box of uh, that, that board game box hop where it shows the family uh, being killed. Uh, and then um, 
Yeah, she they paints are. blood on the walls and paints the the symbol that we saw earlier. The big mm-hmm. occult symbol gets painted with their blood on the wall, and she makes all this beautiful art. And then all the other kids, all the other dead kids, all of a sudden are there in the video that's been projecting on the wall. And Bagul comes out of the projection and basically gets her hand, and she joins them and walks into the film. And now, Julia, she's immortal. She's in the film forever. That's right. That's how you gain immortality. Thank you, film. So a spinoff would be nice of what what lives of the children leaving, le- leading in between these viewings of their film. Are they... Do they only come alive when the film is there or do they have this like life on the other side with Mr. Boogie somewhere? And is Mr. Boogie nice to the children? These are questions I have. I wondered about that, too. They did not seem excited when he was coming around, though. They That's like look like they're OK, like hanging out together. And they're like, come join us. But then like when he walked through, they all like their faces all changed a little bit. And then we get that great jump scare with the ghoul at the end. And then credits. Credits. Huzzah. Holy crap. What? So much fun. And, and, and a movie that, you know, you don't get, I think it's a bold, it's a bold movie, but you have a, a lot of action is very sedentary. It's just somebody watching films. Uh, but, you know, having eight millimeter snuff films as the crux of your movie, also uh, kind of a cool, cool concept. Yeah, absolutely. Creepy as hell. I was scared a good portion of the beginning. I was like, it's too dark. It's too dark from the beginning. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, evil children. Oh, no. Ter- I'm already terrified for them. It's going to be bad. And it was so uh, amazing. <laughs> uh, so let's do some uh, gore factor. One is enough, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. And we give Sinister a five run for that barf bag. It is some gore, gore, gore. It's unreal. And Julia, can you do the other ones as well, too? Can you do chainsaws as well today, right now, this week? Because I don't have them in front of me, even though I know we should have them memorized after a bajillion episodes, but I still don't know them in my head. You you bet your fur. Uh, We have one chainsaw, if you're desperate, two, barely qualifies as a horror film, three, seen worse, seen better, four, not too shabby, and five, fantastical. I give Sinister a four and a half. I really liked it. I thought there was so much great stuff in there and Ethan Hawke as the lead killing it as always, you know, so you have Ethan Hawke, you have film. I'm a happy girl. It was freaking fantastic. I really loved it as well. I gave it a full four. Um, I thought it was creepy as hell. I had to pause it a few times and that that's when you, I know I'm scared. Um, I was like, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. It's going to go so bad for these, these kids. And I was just so worried for all of them. Um, only four because I, I I just get so worried about the kids. Uh, other than that, <laughs> I thought it was I thought Ethan did a great job as always. Um, everyone was yeah he was he's fantastic. So well, thank you so much, Becky, for recommending this. I mean, you know that I love Ethan in films, so this is a perfect Julia match. I really enjoyed it and a cool cool film. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about a movie. So we just did if you all missed it, we did a a lesbian vampire round. So we thought we would be equal time and we would do some male on male homosexual vampire uh, movie, which uh, actually not that many of. There's like this many lesbian vampire movies and like this many like male to male. I, I wish understand. I could see what Julia's little hands. That was so cute. Anyway, <laughs> she did little tiny, tiny, tiny little fingers. Um, yeah, fingers. It's, it's it's not the same oeuvre. And there's also not the same like amount of years. Like I feel like in the lesbian vampire genre, we go back for like 
you know, back to the 60s and stuff like that. And, and there's some really very, fun, like, beautiful artsy. and artistic and like really, yeah, this is this is not this is not the same. Uh, we'll be talking about. Don't uh, say anything. Don't tell I, them. Don't ruin I, it. Let them let them watch and decide for themselves. Always. If you guys want to watch Bite Marks, watch it and then en and join us. If you don't want to watch Bite Marks, that's OK, too. Join us. I think it's going to be fun either way for you all next week. Bart it will bite be. Marks. Yes, and I uh, just a little 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 tidbit is that uh, this bite marks might include one of our favorite vampires, Mr. Stephen Jeffries, might also be in this movie. So that might be tantalizing to you as it is to me. If you like what we do, please support us. We do have a Patreon. We would love to have you join our uh, subscribers. You do get episodes early and little bonus tidbits that we like to talk about, you know, here and there. Uh, we also have a Teespring store if you'd like to rep us with our merch. And of course, you can find us on our social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to talk to you and we always respond. So if that's a bonus. I don't know what is. Oh, it, it's true. We'd love to talk with you. Can't wait to talk with you again next week. Bite marks, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a coke. Okay. <laughs>